Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, and I'm based out in Reykjavik, Iceland, where this week, it's like summer has prematurely left us. It's been grey, it's been rainy, kind of bleak, but I don't mind that much. i got plenty to do, i got plenty of games to play, and so that's what I've been doing as well as watching the football, of course. At the time of recording, I will say, I'm recording very early this week because I wanted to get the podcast ready for you. Um, and at the time of recording, the Euros final has not yet happened, so I don't know what the outcome was. Um, I guess for most of you, by the time you hear this, the results will be out. That does mean that by the time I could record anything, it would be coming out two weeks after the fact and be old news. But maybe I'll do a little something for my patrons if things go well. It seems from the conversation that's been going on on the Patreon Discord, which has been very lively for the last few weeks actually, people are following the football, Um, people sort of talk about the things that they're doing, I think the games that they're playing, and the shows that they're watching, it's a really fun little environment to chat in. And the Patreon is especially relevant to this week's episode, because what I'm going to do this week Um, If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that one of my patrons gifted me an Xbox One S recently when they upgraded to a Series X. And so for the first time, I've had access to Game Pass. And it absolutely is as good as the hype. It's a, a really good selection of games. There's so much variety there. And it's really nice just having this kind of tasting menu of games to try. Some that you've heard of, some that you haven't, some big titles, some AAAs, some, you know, Bethesda things, right down to little indie games. And so I've had a lot of fun. I must have tried out 10 different games and I thought it might be nice to do a little Game Pass roundup today. So I'm going to talk about five games that I've played on Game Pass. Um, The main game that I'm going to review is the one that I've played the most. It's a card-based game called Nowhere Profit. Um, And it's been a really interesting one. I've got mixed opinions about it, but I mean, the fact that I've played it for as long as I have suggests that it's pretty addictive. Um, I've been really enjoying card battling games recently, and this is a particularly hard one, but it has a particularly well-written scenario and setting, so it's an interesting game. I'm also going to talk a little bit about Carrion, about Fallout 76, and about Elder Scrolls Online, and a little bit about the Wild at Heart as well. But before I do that, seeing as we've talked about Patreon already, if you would like to join that Patreon community, um, you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild to support this podcast. Every penny goes back into the show, whether it's in games to review or upgrades to equipment or memberships for these kind of different gaming services. I really appreciate it. So it's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild if you'd like to join that. You'll get extra episodes, you'll get to come and talk on that Discord, and you'll get my weekly sale recommendations. So thank you very much to all my patrons, and thank you very much to you if you're thinking of coming on board. And with that out of the way, let's move on and get on with this special Game Pass Roundup episode. So I'd been aware of Carrion um, since its release, basically. I remember that it got some very good reviews when it came out. I remember that it was getting kind of 8 out of 10s, 9 out of 10s, and that it was making a lot of uh, people's lists of underappreciated games. Um, Carrion is a pixel art metroidvania, and the twist on the tale is that rather than playing a little pixel hero like Samus or a little hand-drawn sprite like a Hollow Knight, in this game you play the villain. You play a giant tentacle monster, 
and you break out of an underground facility. You smash out of your glass uh, enclosure, and you basically go on a rampage for freedom. Um, and that includes kind of smashing your way through windows, smashing your way through doors, trying to find your way out of this uh, cavernous, labyrinthine underground facility that seems to contain science facilities, military facilities, natural caves, and more besides. And this is um, an incredibly fun game to play because your your creature that you're controlling is just completely wild to control. You really feel the kind of momentum of this kind of fast-moving ball of red tentacles and kind of blood splattering on the walls everywhere you go and kind of tentacles just lashing around as you move. Um, but it can also be really quiet and creepy, just like a good horror movie villain, you know? Like you come up to a door and there are three people inside. You can wait until all their backs are turned and reach out with a tentacle using the right stick. Use the right shoulder button to open the door to hold the handle and the right that right stick again to pull it open. And then you charge through that door and try and eat them all before they can turn on you uh, and pull them into your kind of massive gnashing mouths. Uh, and this this is fantastically fun. You really do, for the first few levels especially, you're just out of control. You're just causing absolute havoc, causing chaos, smashing things up, and just barreling through the levels. Um, and it's really, really good fun until that point. Um, there are also some puzzles, and you get additional abilities as you progress through the game. For example, you can extend one long tendril, which lets you be really, really creepy and try and reach through the air ducts to try and reach switches and things like that. You get a kind of a very heavy smash attack, and your your um, your body grows over time, so that you can become like a really huge monster. But that huge monster can't always fit through small ducts, and so sometimes you have to shed body mass and be like a small monster. But then you can take less hits, but you're faster. So you have to kind of trade off body mass and speed, and where you can go and where you can't go. Um, and the puzzles get um, harder; they do get quite hard, I would say. Um, although I got through to the penultimate level without getting stuck, but once I was in that penultimate level, I felt like I was hitting walls a lot. Um, as much fun as Carrion is, it does have a few problems, the first of which is that there is no map, um, and for a Metroidvania, that's a cardinal crime. And I kind of do wish that at some point in the design process, someone in the, the studio had said, I think that this game might be more inside than Hollow Knight, um, and just... Just, just got rid of that Metroidvania aspect. The game loops back on itself, but when it does, it's like you're revisiting an old area in a new form um, and passing through it. And the critical path um, forward becomes lost. And so if you take a wrong turn, you can just find yourself doing, you know, 20 minutes of just looping around an area that you've already cleared, uh, trying to get back on track and not really knowing what you did wrong. That happened to me a couple of times. And I think especially in the, the late game, sometimes the loops are a little uh, odd, like it's not intuitive where you should go next. So I ended up doing a few circle sort of rounds in this game and basically kind of going around the whole game again at one point. Um, a lot of the backgrounds and a lot of the areas really do look quite similar. There aren't a lot of really distinctive landmarks. They're just series of different kinds of rooms. Um, and so it was very easy to get lost. I would also say that it has some difficulty spikes there are some uh, enemies that you come up against, and you don't really get any help with them. They can seem pretty um, 
impervious to your attacks and take you down very quickly. And I got a little frustrated with those. I had to go and look at a video of someone doing a couple of them. There's these kind of mech suits, um, and I didn't realize how to kill them. And then later on, there are these drones that are a little difficult to deal with as well. Um, I was getting a little frustrated with the game because of the, the getting lost and the difficulty spikes. So for me, Carrion gets marked down a little bit for that. Um, if they had leaned a little more into the linearity of the game, I think it's okay to be linear. It's okay to be a linear game. You know, Inside did it um, to perfection, and Inside's like a, a hugely universally acclaimed award-winning game. You don't have to be a Metroidvania. It is okay to take that leap and be a linear game, and I think that that would have benefited Carrion. Um, all in all, I think it's it's a very solid title. I had a really good time with it. And if you're on Game Pass, you're not paying for it. It's in your it's in your membership. I would say give it a spin, play it for an afternoon, play it for a day. It's no skin off your nose. That's Carrion. Uh, next, I'm going to mention a couple of Bethesda titles that I gave a little spin. Um, I am a huge Fallout 4 fan. I absolutely love the game. It's one of my favourite titles of the last generation, probably. I got sucked into that game far beyond what I ever expected. I ended up putting in 130 plus hours, doing all the side quests, building towns, and just loving, loving life while I was playing Fallout 4. But I almost didn't play it. I tried out Fallout 76 on PlayStation 4 just to get a taste of Fallout, and I completely bounced on it. This is like way back in the mid middle of last year. Um, it's just such, it's the same uh, series of games, but it doesn't feel like it, um, apart from the most superficial kind of scenario stuff. The story is um, terrible, uh, to be honest, and the onboarding, it all feels so kind of patched together. It's like the shell of a Fallout game with none of the juicy stuff, none of the good stuff, none of the good dialogue, none of the kind of narrative forward momentum that keeps you going through a Fallout game. It's kind of a pale impression of a Fallout game um, that just tries to kind of clumsily onboard you into a kind of confusing multiplayer environment. But a few people have told me that Fallout 76 has really improved since it was released, so I thought I would circle back around and give it a go, seeing as I saw it on Game Pass and I wouldn't have to shell out for it. So I downloaded it, big file, um, got back into it, and to be honest, I had the exact same experience again. Um, I don't see what they've improved with it. It was perhaps slightly smoother running on the Xbox and the PlayStation 4, so I don't know if that's like a version uh, differential, platform differential, or if they've just cleaned it up a little bit over time. But the story's still bad. Um, you kind of wander through this landscape pointlessly towards a bar, because you've kind of slept in through the apocalypse, um, which is just a terrible beginning uh, compared to Fallout 4 when it's kind of high drama and your family is taken from you and you have to, you get this kind of burning need to follow the story through. Um, and this story, I don't know if it's supposed to be kind of a, a comedic intro to the game or something, but it fell completely flat with me. Um, I found that it was, it was just, uh, a pale Im imitation of Fallout 4, not a fan at all, bounce on it again. And this, I have to say the same about the Elder Scrolls Online. I'm a big Skyrim fan, um, and I guess the beginning of that game is very famous, you know, where you're on the back of a horse cart and there's a dragon attack and you kind of, you have to escape and go and make your way into the woods and survive. And the story beginning imbues you with a sense of urgency um, and a sense that you need to continue. And for some reason, um, the Elder Scrolls Online doesn't do that. You kind of find a, find yourself in a cell, and then this kind of elf lady comes and 
decides to teach you how to be a soldier. This is how you use a sword. This is how you use a shield. And I'm like, who are you? And um, I don't know. It was, again, it was it kind of all of the urgency and the narrative drive and that kind of cinematic introduction that all good games have, especially open world games, where you need to be invested in the character by some kind of significant event, you know? And there wasn't a significant event in either Fallout or The Elder Scrolls Online. I played about an hour and a half or two hours of each one. And that was about all of the, the patience that I had waiting for it to, to get good. And so I really hope that Bethesda gets back to doing what they do best and making us some spectacular, big-budget, single-player adventures with a story to tell and something to say that aren't just kind of focused on trying to shuffle you into this kind of ecosystem of multiplayer because that's what these games seem like there's hardly any game there really it seems like they're mostly concerned with creating a multiplayer platform and um, why people should be playing it is not apparent to me <laughs> as a player maybe they're just not for me i know that a lot of people do love those multiplayer games so i'm sorry if this sounds like uh, you know terrible trash talk to to you as a fallout 76 or as an elder scrolls online fan but to me, these games fell completely flat. I don't get the appeal. I didn't feel drawn into them. And so I moved on. Um, and lucky for me, The Wild at Heart was there. This is a game that was recommended to me by a patron. Um, and this one is a whole different story. So now I'd, I can stop moaning about uh, bad games and talk about a good one. Although I'm not going to talk about it too much because I've got a feeling that by the time I get to the end of this wonderful game, I'm going to want to make a whole episode about it. So this is a kind of a Zelda-ish top-down game um, in which you control a tween-aged protagonist who's run away from home and gets lost in the woods and is sucked into a fairy tale kingdom where a band of forgetful people called the Green Shields are losing their memories whilst trying to hold back a kind of a, a mystical darkness that wants to break out of this realm and into the real world. And you are drafted into the Green Shields to try and uh, clear the darkness and hold back the darkness. It's a pretty, you know, a pretty basic video game story. Um, but what's lovely about this game is that the the visuals are hand-drawn. It has an illustrated feel to it. Absolutely beautiful to look at. Um, the way that water is depicted and the way that leaves blow in the wind, the way that weather and the kind of the time of day, the way the light changes as the day progresses... It's absolutely hypnotic to look at. And I have to say, the music and the sound is also wonderful. Um, the soundtrack is just this beautiful, kind of organic, ambient electronic sound. Um, it really is just like taking a sound bath. Sometimes when I've been playing games lately, like I've been playing uh, Nowhere Profit, which I'll talk about as the main game of the episode, I've kind of turned the sound down and listened to podcasts. You know, they're like podcast games. But when I play The Wild at Heart, I really want that soundtrack. I really want that kind of that magical immersion that you get from listening to the music while you're playing. Um, and I really like what they did with all the sounds as well. Like, you know, a lot of games have a little kind of computer game voice where the characters just kind of go like that to each other. And often that really annoys me. But in the wild at heart, it's like a soft sound rather than this kind of hard tapping sound. It kind of feels like it's kind of breaking through all of the other sounds. The whole sound palette is very, very soft in the same way that the, the visual palette is very, very soft and considered and uh, beautifully put together in, in wonderful colours. Um, this game is just like a really nice offering. 
And as far as the gameplay goes, it bears some resemblance to top-down Zelda games in that you're kind of going around a kingdom with different areas that are gated and you have to find things to, to break down those gateways, come back later. Um, it's also got a lot in common with Pikmin. You find seeds in the nature, and back at your base, you can hatch them into these little creatures called spritelings. And at first, you can have five little spritelings that just run around behind you. Um, the stage I'm at now, I have a little army of 35 spritelings running around behind me everywhere I go. And you can throw them, and they will fight for you. They will land on switches and weigh them down. You can throw them over things to fetch stuff. Uh, you can use them to break down scenery into crafting elements. So your little spritelings are like your little friends uh, who run around with you um, and help you on your journey. Um, and it also has a little in common with, I would say, like Paper Mario, in the way that you're kind of shaking down the uh, the bushes and trees and things are falling out of them. Um, it has a kind of a papery, a paper craft feel to the visuals as well. And the main character actually has a vacuum cleaner, which they use to hoover up lost spritelings and objects in the game world, which reminds me a little bit of uh, Luigi, Luigi's Mansion. So I would say that this is a wonderful game for anyone that likes Nintendo. Um, for now, I think this game is only on PC and Xbox, but I, I think it must come to the Switch. It would be really at home on the Switch. But for any Nintendo fans out there or fans of any of those games I've talked about, I really can't recommend this one highly enough. Um, I'll come back and talk about it later when I finished it and maybe give it its own episode. That's The Wild at Heart. So the final game I'm going to talk about in this Game Pass roundup is Nowhere Profit. This is a game that I had never heard of when I was flicking through the entire Game Pass library. Something about it, I liked the name, I liked the artwork, and so I clicked on through, saw that it's a card battling game. Um, ever since I played Slay the Spire, Iris and the Giant, Signs of the Sojourner, I've been quite interested in card-based games, and so I was like, okay, this ticks all my boxes. So I downloaded Nowhere Profit, it's a, it's a small file. Um, the game came out in 2019 on PC, Mac and Linux. It came out in 2020 on Switch, PlayStation and Xbox. So it's available pretty much everywhere. It was made by a solo developer named Martin Nurica, I think I'm pronouncing that right, who goes by the name Sharkbomb Studios. And it's a deck battler set in a far future post-societal wasteland. So in this future, um, society has fallen and the ashes have been re-inhabited by humanity, which has turned into different disparate castes and bands of people with different beliefs. There are the technomancers who want to unearth the old technology of the society and use it in an almost religious way. Then there are these kind of very stoical um, technophobes who want to live in a, a world without technology and will war against people that have different beliefs to them. There are ferals, there are bandits, there are these kind of blue-skinned mercenaries that are really violent and will attack you at any opportunity. And you play the prophet. You are on the, the techno-mancer side of things. You receive visions. I think a satellite falls from the sky and you have some kind of communion with it and it tells you to go on this quest. Um, and because of your, your vision, um, you gain followers. And at the start of the game, you have a, a band of about, I think, 15 or 20 followers, all of whom have cards that you can use in battle and you'll set out 
across the map, looking for um, the vault that this fallen satellite has told you to seek out where answers will be found. So that's the scenario, it's pretty cool. Um, and the way that the game manifests is that you look down at a map that is procedurally generated. You're starting in a different um, biome every time. There is a desert, there is a swamp, different enemies, different um, installations that you'll come across, different factions that you'll cross, and different incidental events. Um, you look down at the map, you can see some squares on the map where you'll gain food. You'll see some spots that are kind of crossroads where you'll probably get into combat or have some kind of encounter. You'll see buildings where there'll be markets. You'll see cities. Um, you'll see uh, sort of sanctums where there's a teacher who can teach you new skills. And you have a food meter and you have a hope meter. Those are the two things that your caravan needs to keep going. And so you have to kind of chart your path across this map, um, counting out like where there's going to be combat, where you're going to need to restock on food. You have to improvise slightly, like you might find a huge field of berries and an incidental encounter. That means you're all set for food, so you can sort of set off to a market to try and buy tea and find materials that you can gift to your followers, and that will raise their hope in the, in the journey. But the main event of the game, other than the kind of scenario and this, this kind of map crossing, is the card battles. And this is where you come up against an opponent. Um, you're on the left, they're on the right, there is a battlefield between you. You can drop your cards onto that battlefield. The cards have different boons, different abilities, aggressive, defensive, special abilities that cancel out um, your opponent's soldiers. And you have to basically win that battle. I'm not going to go into the weeds too much on the combat mechanics because it doesn't make for good podcast listening. I have found to be explaining the rules of a card game. It's hard enough in real life. Um... But the combat is quite deep. It's also quite difficult. Um, I feel that the onboarding or the tutorializing of how this game works is somewhat lacking. Uh, perhaps, I think, because the developer seems to come from a tabletop gaming background, um, some knowledge is perhaps assumed in the player. And, and maybe a lot of the people that come to this game um, will have a lot of knowledge about how tabletop games and card games work. Um, but for me, as someone that um, is just paddling in the very shallow end of uh, card-based games, I felt that there was a lot that was unexplained, and that really stacked the odds against me from the off. So for my first few runs, I kind of I got far enough into the map to get a little taste of the game and to make me want to keep going, because the real good thing about this game is the scenario, and it is the writing, and it is the the visuals, the places, the people. But I also I always died pretty quickly. Um, I wasn't good at the combat, and now after five or six hours of playing this game, and having gotten halfway through what looks like the entire map, um, I'm still having trouble with the combat. There are still statuses that I don't quite understand, um, different kind of boons that different cards have, and how they, they interplay with each other. And maybe the game just doesn't want to tell you, and wants to let you kind of uh, figure it out for yourself, and, and treat this whole thing as a big puzzle. But for me as a player, what I'm really in it for is to progress across this map and to see these kind of the corners of this world and for the incidental encounters that you get that are really nicely written. Um, and the combat is just something that I have to do to get there um, rather than the main event. So to me, this is like a narrative card game with combat. 
So depending on how willing you are to really invest some time into kind of trying to pull apart and untangle the rules of this game might affect how much you enjoy it. There is a rule book that you can read, but even reading the rule book, I found myself with a lot of questions. It's not very detailed. It's just broad strokes stuff. Um, and so I've struggled with that combat. I have found this game to be pretty gruelingly difficult, I have to say. Um, sometimes, as in other card games, it's just mathematically impossible for you to win. And so you might be on a really good run and then come up against an opponent that just has these kind of incredibly powerful cards that are just way out of your class. Um, and there's a lot of RNG and sort of random encounters that will define how well tooled up you are, how much currency you have to hire new party members and what kind of abilities you have. Um, but even on my best run, when I think I had some kind of scrap gun that could cause big damage, and I had like a special shield that shielded me uh, from attacks, I just came up against, I think, the third boss and was just utterly destroyed. It was very disheartening. It's back to square one again because it has that kind of procedural roguelike vibe to it. Um, and so all my progress was was eaten up and it was game over. Whilst I'm ragging on the difficulty of this game, I will also say that it actually does have three difficulty settings. I'm playing on the lowest one, which is called Chosen, and it promises plentiful resources and manageable battles. Um, and I have to say, if this is the developer's idea of um, manageable battles, then I'm not even ever going to come near touching those other two difficulty levels, which promise like difficult battles and scarcer resources. Because even on the basic level, this is a tough game. But I will say, like the good things about it are, the writing is great. There are times at which you're coming through the landscape and you'll find something, like you might discover some geodesic domes, and suddenly you'll get a drawing of them on the screen, and then you'll get a text description of what happens. And you play this slightly kind of text adventure sections, where you choose whether you want to advance further in, whether you want to pick fruit, whether you want to leave, this kind of thing. Sometimes it leads to combat, sometimes it leads to story nuggets. And these are the real high points of the game for me. It's where it's a kind of a visual text adventure. I feel that the scenario is fantastic. It's really good. Um, there's a, a point at which you come to a strip mine that's been carved into the, the face of the rock, like these kind of layers, like terraces. Um, and the mines have been inhabited and it's turned into a city. It's really, really imaginative, fun, um, vivid science fiction writing. Um, so that is very good about this game. That's that's kind of why it drew me in, I think. Um, there is also a lot of flexibility in it, I'll say. Like, um, once you start learning what kind of uh, combat you like, um, you can start tuning your deck. There are marketplaces where you can recruit followers um, by buying and selling batteries and old tech that you find on the way. It's another one of the currencies of the game. And so you can decide whether you want like lots of small units that move quickly, and do a little bit of damage, whether you want these kind of overwhelmingly powerful units that you only get to play when you've got a certain amount of energy, like later in a battle. Um, and so you can really try and kind of balance your deck and see what kind of abilities and what kind of powerful cards or, or the opposite you like to have. And so there is depth here. Um, I think I will keep playing this game. I've had a kind of a couple of games today. I had one really good run that was just cruelly dashed by this kind of absolutely unbeatable boss encounter. And it made me question whether I'm playing this game right, if you know what I mean. Um, but then that again made me wonder if I'm not playing it right, has the game 
taught me how to play it. Um, I get the feeling, perhaps, that this game doesn't want to teach you all of its secrets, and finding out those secrets is a process that I have found to be frustrating, if that is what is intended. I would very much like to be told how to play the game, and then to see if I can master it, rather than that mastery being subject to kind of endless experimentation with its mechanics. But that might well just be a taste thing. I think that people that are more experienced in card games might have less of a problem with it than I have had. Um, I will also say, just to, to, to round off the, the critique of it, that I'm playing on the Xbox on Game Pass, of course, and I will say that I feel that this game has not been um, 100% successful in remapping onto a controller. Um, there are points at which, as I was moving the left stick to try and select different options on a map, for example, or um, menu items, it felt like the, the screen is kind of, it's not in a grid or anything, and sometimes there are kind of map points that are jumbled up next to menu items, stuff like that. And I sometimes had a hard time getting the getting the damn cursor onto the thing that I wanted it to be on. I get the feeling this is a game that was intended for a mouse and a screen, and I've got a feeling that that might be the best way to play it. Um, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's just a little clunky. Um, maybe the layout of what's on the screen was just very difficult to work with when it comes to a joypad or a controller as you kids call them nowadays. Um, so maybe if you have the option of playing it on Steam, that might be the optimal way to play this game. It is possible that I'll come back and talk about this one again. I'm still doing kind of a run a day at the moment. They take anything from kind of 10 minutes through to 40 minutes in how far I've gotten so far. And I am still interested in the game. I do still want to try and get further. Um, I think I'm going to have to refine my strategies. I do feel like I kind of pick things up as I'm moving through the game. Um, I think there are perhaps tactics that I have not yet maximised. There are maybe ways, uh, little magic tricks that I could do to hang in there longer against powerful enemies and get my, my heavy hitters out sooner. Um, but it does feel at the minute like there is a lot to learn and there aren't a lot of learning materials for me provided by the game. But I am going to keep playing it and hopefully I'll get further, and if I do, I'll be sure to mention it in a future episode. That's Nowhere Profit. So that's the Game Pass Roundup episode. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, let me know. Um, I might do some more Game Pass oriented episodes in the future if people are into this kind of roundup format. I certainly have a lot more games downloaded I'm intending to try. I'll read out to you some of the ones that I've downloaded. I have Yakuza Like a Dragon, which I've played a little bit of and really enjoyed. It seems to me to be a real leap from the previous Yakuza games that I've tried. Um, I also have Genesis Noir. I dipped into that one, but it's, it has that kind of quite rowdy, um, riotous jazz soundtrack going on. And I think on the day that I played it, that wasn't quite my mood, but I'm very into the look of, of Genesis Noir and I'll definitely be coming back to that one. I've also downloaded Tell Me Why, which I noticed won, I think it was the Game for Impact at the Game Awards, and I was intrigued by it from that point, so I'll be definitely playing that one. I have Carto, Call of the Sea, Wasteland 3. East Shade and Haven. So those are the uh, the Xbox games that I have lined up for the future. It's going to take me a long time to play all of those, especially Yakuza. Those games are long. 
Um, but for now, I'm I'm deep into the Wild at Heart. I'm really playing that one to relax. I think after playing Returnal, which I'm still struggling on with and kind of hate playing at this point, <laughs> and with um, Nowhere Profit, which is very difficult, um, the Wild at Heart is a really nice wind-down game. So I'll definitely be playing more of that one. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, please do feel free to come and find me on social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitch. I did a little bit of streaming of Returnal recently. Instagram and YouTube, all as Gaming in the Wild. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do pop over to the Patreon as well. You're welcome to come become a supporter of the show from as little as $1 a month. That's at patreon.com slash gaming in the wild. Um, I hope that England won the Euros. <laughs> I guess you know by now. Um, I've got a feeling that it's not coming home, but actually going to Rome. But anyway, that's been our episode. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week. Take care of yourselves and each other. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>